Keith here. When I started making the first episode of, I had no experience doing podcast interviews, especially the technical side of things. It was a lot of confusing steps, setting up double enders or making do with low quality recordings on whatever app I could figure out. But it got a whole lot easier when I started using Zencaster. Made for podcasts with Zencaster, it's so easy to do everything. You and your guests log in with a browser and record studio quality sound and up to 4K video, even with an unstable connection. And it's an all-in-one deal. You don't need a lot of different tools or services. With Zencaster, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major platforms. If you've ever thought about making your own podcast, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code TFEO and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story on Zencaster. Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of No Return. A fantasy epic stretching across multiple locations and characters, No Return is created by Kier Joe. Set in the fictional world of Urset Latari, the stories of No Return explore themes of morality, power, and survival in a dying world. Joe currently has eight stories, or seasons, in simultaneous progress. Listeners can follow a particular story or jump from one to another. The first episode is set in the Nymphaeum storyline, a comedy adventure about two monks, Ravi and Adrastia, who journey to the afterlife to seek help from the gods, only to discover that things are not as they expected. I spoke to Kier remotely. Tell us a little bit about yourself as an artist or creator, writer, all that kind of good stuff. I only really uh, got into this very, very recently. I did a little bit of writing uh, back when I was uh, when I was younger, and I say that in the sense that I wrote a short story in about 2006 that I really thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed writing, and then didn't do anything creatively for very very many years um, that wasn't you know, directly related to some sort of academic assignment at least. And it was only really during the lockdown when suddenly having to live very very differently and find different ways to occupy myself that I, I revisited writing, and I did this. Pretty much inspired uh, through uh, just engagement with with TTRPG. I was writing stories about characters we were playing and 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 worlds we were playing in. 
until I started building a world of my own and started writing little flash fiction stories in it. Started getting quite excited and passionate about that. And then um, stumbled accidentally into the, the world of audio drama by networking with other creators. Started making a few uh, audio drama episodes myself. And um, next thing I knew, I was creating uh, No Return, which at this point I think is eight concurrently running stories. So <laughs> it spiraled pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> And it did quite honestly make me very, very happy, but I was supposed to do something else. And so I chased this other thing for a very, very long time. And uh, I, I sometimes make a joke that I was doing, doing some sort of violence to my spirit, you know, like trying to, trying to fit myself into, into a different sort of category, a, a square peg in a round hole sort of situation. Can I ask what that other thing was, if it's not too personal? No, it's, it's, it's not too personal at all. Um, I've always had a very, very strong sense of, uh, of, of service and whether that's been through a variety of different roles I've had in the UK. So uh, former p police service and worked in various roles in government. That's what I've always felt that I wanted to do. And then it didn't give me what I wanted. Yeah, <laughs> right. Coming back to it and rediscovering my passion for writing. And you know, I don't get as much time to play music these days. I'm not in a, not in a band anymore. But getting the opportunity to, to really dig into to writing and, and, and exploring fiction, it's been such a joy. And I'm so glad that, um, that I managed to come back to it. And you know, it only took the world ending for it to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, how did you then get into audio drama from not doing much in the way of arts at all? The progression basically went from, I went from writing the, the flash fiction stories to turning those into, uh, into like mini audio books. And that was pretty much for the purpose of the, those people who I was, who I was gaming with at the time, it was a way to make the, the world and stories we were telling through TTRPG more immersive. So, you know, if a character that they'd met when we were playing, I would create a little flash, flash fiction story to flesh out mm. them and their world. And yeah. that was very much that the, uh, the project was called Tales of Sardra Medu. And, and that, that's what that was all about. It was just about little stories to build to build up this world easiest way or the way to make it most accessible for the players because obviously they're busy themselves they don't want to sit there and read reams and reams of text when they're trying to eat their dinner or look after their families it's like well how can i make this accessible i'll make it in the audio format and then by the sort of end of the project i'd, I'd picked up enough skills and i'd start getting other people involved to start doing the voices and i'd even start playing around with actually making some pure radio play format episodes uh, or, or, or sections to share and as i was doing that that's when i started interacting with uh, other people online so the the likes of skylar from uh, omega star 7 we were doing oh, right. a little bit of work work with one another he asked me to to do a bit of uh, lines for him uh, i asked him to do a bit of music for me and then next thing i knew i was creating an audio drama i was like well i enjoy that more and i had so many stories i wanted to tell and they were bigger than these flash fiction stories i was telling and uh, i felt like i could do more with that than I was doing with the with the audiobook format. So Tales of Sada Amedu is your was sort of your first audio drama, I guess. Yeah, yeah, in a sense, yeah. Uh, and then of course you were you were a, a, a sort of a major player in Omega Star Seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to uh, tell I mean, about your character? Yeah, I absolutely loved playing it, and I'm uh, I'm so pleased that I ended up in a position uh, to do it as well. So I played a, I played a Vaxard and who was uh, the the big bad in series one um, of uh, of. <laughs> Uh, of Omega Star Seven, and um, I'm I'm still rooting for him. I think I think he was <laughs> I think he was the real hero of the story. <laughs> what was the spark that started out your creation of No Return? So it came off the back of a real frustration that I was having with uh, with Tales of Sardra Medu, and again relates to some of the interactions that I was having with uh, with Skylar and the Omega Star Seven team. Where um, one of the big issues I felt that I was having as a writer 
was uh, because I'd spent so much time and effort building this world. And of course, the world that I built was built before the story was told. And I am obsessive about detail. So, you know, from the, the history of individual institutions to the cosmogony of the universe, I have law for that. And the problem is, is that the audience doesn't necessarily want to hear it, <laughs> right. but I still want to show it. And so I was find, uh, trying to find ways that were either entertaining ways to tell the story and to, uh, and to tell these aspects of the law or to just cut it out. And I was really, really struggling with it. And um, I'm a Patreon for, for Megastar 7 because I love uh, everything they do. And so I, I started listening to some of their additional content, which had you know, funny little additional ads and things for, for some of the lore in their world. I was listening to, uh, to a lot of it and I was thinking, do you know what? I wish I could do something like this. I wish I could make it funny. I wish I could make this stuff that I'm doing that I think is interesting about the world. I wish I could make that something that would also make people laugh so they could at least forgive me for law dumping all the time. <laughs> and that's where episode one of uh, No Return came from, the Nymphaeum. But it was just designed to get some really, really big stuff <laughs> that I wanted to tell told in a really, really silly and funny way. Well, since we're talking about it, why don't you tell me a bit about No Return in your own words? Uh, what do you think of when you think about this show? I think... Um, I think I'd describe it in one of the adverts as a as creative hubris. Um, <laughs> I, I very often when I think about it, I just think about the sheer volume of work that I've created for myself. But uh, it's but I love it because it's so many different stories. No return. It it's at the minute it's eight different um, stories, which are sort of different styles and genres, and um, that are all running concurrently. It's almost location based storytelling. I'm telling different stories from different perspectives and different locations in this in this world and you know I, d- I don't want to pretend that I have some sort of higher calling for the for the story but I'm also trying to find ways to grapple with some pretty heavy uh, philosophical themes in there but trying to do it in a way that's that's entertaining and not and not too exhausting for me or the audience. The stuff that I've listened to so far involving the uh, the Nymphaeum series, you're definitely trying for comedy here, right? It's sort of a comedy fantasy. Oh, the Nymphaeum is the Nymphaeum is yes. But that that being said, there's there's a there's a reason that that particular story is being told through a, through a, through a comedic lens. One because it's got so much of the lore in it, but also because some of the stuff that if you li- you know if you if you listen to what the characters are talking about and the state that the world's in. It's really harrowing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, having this sort of really absurd setup where it's almost a almost an idiot plot in some in in some aspects where the characters are just being swept along by either either poor decisions or random chance. It's funny because there's nothing they can do about it. Um and again, that's more for me than I think for the audience. What I want what I'm trying to get the audience to do is just chuckle. Um but yeah, it's my opportunity yeah. to to deal with some some of that stuff as well. So I, I'm guessing I definitely get like a Douglas Adams vibe or a Terry Pratchett vibe yeah. from some of the writing in uh, the Nymphaeum story. Is that fair to say that you were influenced by them? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think they're pro- probably my primary fantasy influences. Certainly Pratchett, and there's there's more than a couple of I call them homages because I can't admit to ripping him off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, plenty of homages to uh, Pratchett in the world, including you know the names of some characters and locations. What yeah. do you like about that particular style of writing? Do you know? I, I'm, I don't know if there's a word for it. It's, it's this constant delay of climax. <laughs> That happens in it, where it feels like there's going to be this major conflict that's going to going to appear, but it actually just results in a gag. It's almost constantly subverting your expectations. Now, yeah, I really, really enjoy that. 
but I also really enjoy the being really high stakes. <laughs> and so trying to trying to balance that where the characters are having this constant delay of resolution or constant delay of climax in the story, which is something that I think recurs quite a lot in then in fame where it'll build up to think there's something really serious and actually it's not that bad in the end, but then it only gets worse. The Nymphaeum saga is one of a series of stories mm. that is being told in your uh, podcast. And the Nymphaeum is about two monks, Ravi and Adrastia, who are living in a world where the gods are absent and the people are suffering. One day, Ravi discovers a portal to the celestial plane, or what he thinks is the celestial plane, which is where the gods live. And Adrastia and Ravi go through but discovered they're not in the celestial plane, they're in the afterlife or the endless sea, which is rather boring and shabby and just nothing like what they expect. Are you okay? Oh. Mm. Yeah, yes. <laughs> my face broke my fall, mostly. Where? Where are we? The celestial plane you said, right? Um, yes. Y yes, of course, it's just... It's a little darker than I expected and... Barren. This is probably just the foyer or something. You'd think the foyer of the Hall of the Gods would be a little less... Empty? Maybe it's the road to it. You know, like the carriage track to the Nymphum? Old dusty track that leads to the glorious halls of the temple. Y yes, yes, maybe that's it. Oh, I think I can see some movement up ahead. Perhaps it's the welcoming committee. I really rather think we should stay close to the... Where's the portal? Talk to me about why you wanted to start off your series, No Return, with this particular story. There is an overarching narrative that's, a, that's supposed to stretch across all of the stories, which, uh, which this story is supposed, to, is supposed to set up. The purpose of telling this story first was to establish a couple of really, really key facts. One, that the, the gods are absent and that the bureaucracy and mechanics that hold the universe together are essentially breaking down and they're breaking mm. down just from atrophy because no mm -hmm. one's maintaining them everything that people believe or want to believe about the world is wrong and that's that's the starting point that i wanted that i wanted for the story but of course i wanted to tell it in a way that wasn't just depressing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah ravi and adrastia they arrive in the afterlife and they find themselves among the lost which are the souls that have just been there so long in the afterlife that they've kind of given up, that they've lost their mental capacity. But they also meet someone named Pecco. And I want to point out that you do the voice of Ravi and Pecco. I do, yeah. 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 So they meet Pecco, who is a resident of the afterlife, who's been there for a while, but hasn't hasn't given up yet, like the others. And he kind of leads them along and fills them in. And But he's a very chill kind of guy. He just, mm. you know, he just kind of rolls with the punches. Who in the hells are you, man? Sorry, but didn't realize you were hard of hearing. Oi... Im Pico Pico You will have to excuse my friend. We're both a little disoriented by the journey here and a little lost. 
Now that is the nicest way I've heard it put yet. Usually people are like running around, screaming, freaking out, coming to terms with their gruesome and untimely death. But you guys, you guys are like really chill about it. Disoriented. I guess so, yeah. You must have been like died in your sleep or something then? Or like just be really, really ready for the piercing. Was it a long illness? Excuse me. Did you say death? What's it like doing the voices for two different characters? I have to say that Pecco is my favorite character to voice. He is he's a voice that I made up playing computer games with my son uh, to make to make my son giggle. And so it's really nice to bring that really silly voice uh, into this show. And because it's almost the polar opposite of what Ravi is, play- is playing, he's very, very stuck up and serious and, and, and easily irritated. And then Pekko, on the other hand, who is completely out of his mind and <laughs> absolutely not taking anything that happens seriously. And so trying to bounce between these those two characters, it's quite difficult to, to find the right energy. And so I tend to record them on different days. <laughs> So you have multiple stories that are ongoing. You called them multiple seasons, but it's not like you did the Nymphaeum story and then you did like, I don't know, <laughs> eight or 10 episodes and then you stopped and you finished it and then you picked up and season two was the next. Yeah. You're, you're doing all these stories concurrently and they're not finished yet. Yes. So you'll, you'll release a few episodes of one particular story and then you'll drop another one from another story. Then you go back to a third story and so forth, right? Yes. Um, talk to me about why you wanted to structure your storytelling this way. So uh, there's, there's a few reasons for it. I think it's only really possible in Act 1 of, of No Return where these stories only lightly intersect. As the stories start to converge in Act 2, uh, it won't be possible to tell them in, in quite the same way. Um, but the rationalization for doing it the way that I, that I did it, there's uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, because I'm insane and uh, <laughs> and, a, and a glutton for punishment. But uh, it's mostly just um, to keep myself motivated and focused on, on the show. I had all these stories and I had them ready to go, but there are all kinds of things that can get in the way of production. This is an amateur production. It's being done by some fantastically talented people and I'm so glad to have the support and boy, I wish I could pay them. <laughs> mm. yeah. um, but you know, there's people's, people's lives and my, my life as well gets in, gets in the way of production. And so we can end up with a, a hard stop on what we're doing and that then leaves me with nothing to work on. And so I would just shift to go and work on uh, another part of the project. And then I could do that until the other part was ready to go again. Or I have yet, fingers crossed, to experience writer's block. And I think Mm -hmm. my reason for this is because I just change what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, if I run out of steam over here, I I move over there and I and I start working over there until the energy's back to move over there. Now, each one of the stories does have its own sort of RSS feed that you can go if you know if you're not interested in the other stories, you can just go and listen to to that one. And I've tried to structure it in such a way that it's clear that episodes will be releasing concurrently, but some people still get a little bit confused by it and it has caused caused a couple of problems. But the, the main reason has been motivation and focus and because, well, no one stopped me. <laughs> uh, I, I should have just done one story at a time, <laughs> but I didn't. Do you have all these stories already plotted out and finished in, or at least written down or yeah. in your head or something yeah. like that? So act one, which is the eight 
existing stories out there that we have, almost all of them are completely written. Whereas Act Two and Act Three of the story predominantly are just in note format at the point at this point. So it's yeah, yeah, and that that's something that once Act One's finished, and maybe after a palate cleanser, <laughs> I'll uh, start actually putting the work behind that and getting those getting those finished. No Return is a story about existential issues. It's about trying to find out the truth about the world and our place in it, where the gods seem to be absent and things are not as they seem. Is this coming from a, a place that's personal to you? Or yes. what is motivating you to sort of tackle this particular theme? So it fundamentally comes, and this this is why I've said I, I, I hate bringing everything back to philosophy all the time, but it is um, it is ultimate where, where it comes from. Is it was that was what I studied for undergraduate was was philosophy, and I remember I remember I was happy before I studied philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember a time of of blissful naivety in which uh, in which uh, the nihilism had not yet gripped my <laughs> my vulnerable heart, um, and I think there was a lot of the things that I that I studied, and of course. The time that you, the age that you study it as well as the time at which, you know, um, <laughs> not necessarily the most vulnerable time for you to study it, but a time when you are grappling with uh, frustrations and boredom and, and what is the meaning of life. And then you find out that, you know, these questions have been being asked for thousands of years and the answer is God is dead and everything's permitted. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and the, and it's kind of for me, huge parts of the show are a catharsis where I get to, play out different answers to the question, what's the point? You know, whether, whether that is, you know, your answer is, you know, the absurdist one, there is no point, but it's fine. It's funny. Or the answer is there's no point. Don't try. Or the answer yeah. is find meaning in the smallest of things because the forces beyond you are so great. And each one of the stories, and you know, I, have, I have particular characters who I, who, who I have, being the the main focal point for this experience in each of the stories and responding in different ways to, to these questions and on, under different circumstances. Shouldn't they be doing, I don't know, spirit stuff? Spirit stuff? Look around, dear. Do you see anything else here to do? No, no, I, I suppose not. But I just rather thought that the afterlife would be a little more... Significant? Yeah, and a little less... Blake? Yeah. You've talked a lot about your love of world building. Mm. Tell me about that. What appeals to you about world building? And then what are some of the struggles with conveying world building to an audience that you've wrestled with? What do I love about the world building? I mean, I'd be lying if it wasn't because it makes me feel like a god. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's something that's, that's always resonated with me. Even when I was younger, um, and I used to play computer games like uh, the, the Elder Scrolls series. Even when I was at that age, I found it more interesting to find the tomes and like libraries in the world that told the stories that had nothing to do with the plot, <laughs> mm, yeah. that were entirely to do with the, the larger world and what was going on in there. And I, I got obsessed with it. Once I figured out you could find that stuff on the internet, I didn't even have to play the game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, I've, and I've done that, done that with a few things. Anything that I, that I come across where I find the world interesting and engaging, I probably spend more time learning about the world than I do actually engaging with the primary content and one of the big things i enjoy about ttrpg if you look into things like dungeons and dragons or pathfinder the scope and size of these worlds are, um, are so large and so interesting and i wanted to do something like that i wanted to create something akin to that but that did something and achieved something a little bit differently and reflected and mirrored certain aspects of our world or amplified certain aspects of our world where it probably 
fundamentally comes down to is, and I, and I hate bringing it back to philosophy, <laughs> but it's um, the tensions that exist in a world that the characters have to react to and the forces that act on them fundamentally shape their decisions in, in ways that very often they don't want. Mm. Uh, they, they resent and resist, but they're still swept along by them. And I wanted to see what would happen if I created new and different tensions and, and then told stories in that world or created characters in that world and see how they reacted to those, those tensions and those difficulties, those trials, and even just silly institutional bureaucracy. There are some world builders who will design the clothes and write poetry. How much detail do you get into when you get into the world building zone? There's poetry, there's yeah. books um, within the, the world that the characters refer to. And there's the whole famous theater productions and folk tales. When, when it comes down to the detail, now clothing is something I haven't gotten particularly into. Food, I have gotten down to like what the preferred dishes of different uh, of different regions are. But I think I'm, I'm usually what I'm more interested in are how history has shaped the institutions that matter to people mm -hmm. in the world. And then how those people then either interact or don't interact with those institutions. And yeah. that can be, don't get me wrong, anybody who talks to me about it, I bore them to death about it. But <laughs> I, um, I really, really enjoy it. I, I have written the entire history of uh, the guild system of the Amedouin Empire from its conception and its multiple reforms. And I find that really fascinating, but nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a that's a problem when it comes to taking world building and putting it into a something that's to be consumed as art, yeah. right? Have you come up with a solution? Have you figured out a way to sort of gauge when and where to put in world building elements? My initial solution was to have my characters interrupt me. So th this happens, I think, I think it may happen in episode one or episode two of the Nymphaeum, in which somebody starts going off about like this, about the world law, and literally somebody just goes, boring. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to know that. Let's move on. Uh, that was my that was my initial short term solution to it. My solution now is just being more rigorous with 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 my editing and getting more and more feedback. Looking back on the first episode of No Return, how do you feel about it? I'm still pretty proud of it. I still every now and again will listen, will go back and listen to it, mm -hmm. um, and still get a little chuckle out of it myself. And and on that <laughs> basis, you know, if nobody else in the world enjoyed it, at least I did. Yeah. Now there's there's things I would definitely change about it. Uh, there's things that I can do now that I wish I could have done then. Mm, right. And, you know, you're always going to go back and be like, oh, you know, the pacing between the lines isn't right. And, oh, God, why didn't I have a decent microphone? God, <laughs> you know, why does it sound like Ravi and Pekka were in a different room to Adrastia? Those things will will always play at me, I think, a little bit. But, you know, it's not long into the series until those little kinks get, get, get worked out. And then, and if I can still go back and enjoy it and, you know, it's the first episode. It's the most. It's the one that people come to first, and I still get lots and lots of positive feedback from those people who are discovering it now. I'm really, really glad I did it. What do you struggle with? Balance. Uh, I don't know if you can tell this about me. Um, <laughs> uh, I I struggle with balance. I got very, very into this project. I got very, very excited about them about this this project. I, I threw myself fully into it to the point where. Uh, shock! I overcommitted <coughs> to uh, to doing uh, to, to doing way way too much, and of course I have to. Um, I'm balancing that alongside you know a, a demanding work life, a family who needs me as well. Surface level, administratively, I do a good job, <laughs> but I'm always beating myself up about not being able to give enough to 
one of those mm. at a time. And I'll, yeah. it, or the one I beat myself up most about is usually my family, especially when I'm, you know, creating the, I'm doing all this wonderful work. Um, I'm really enjoying myself, but I'm thinking, oh, then I have to go back away to work. And now I haven't had time to spend with my family. And I think my biggest struggle is trying to find a balance where I can feel satisfied in all those different aspects of my life. And I think one of the discovered is that I can't do that. And so I just have to be satisfied with one at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, and also need to very, very clearly listen to my wife when she says, stop. <laughs> <laughs> always wise. Yeah, always wise, yeah. <laughs> How do you measure success? So my measure of success beyond the, uh, do I enjoy listening to it, which I actually think is quite an important metric. Sure. Because um, yeah. I would say the difference between Tales of Sardar Medu as a project and No Return as a project is I, and this is so self-indulgent, and I probably shouldn't be admitting this to, on something that's going to go out and people might listen to, <laughs> but um, I really enjoy listening to my show. My first metric is, do I like the show? Do I like the episodes? Will I listen? Will I listen again? Um, and I'm, uh, I'm already satisfied that that's been achieved. But my next metric, my next step up on the ladder of success is, are other people talking about it? And I mean this in a very, very literally, just anyone <laughs> is somebody without me prompting them or engineering the situation is somebody talking about the show. <laughs> and that has occurred on one occasion. <laughs> and that was on Reddit when someone said, I don't understand the format of this show. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many episodes. I can't tell what's going on. Uh, but that was... That was very valuable feedback for one, but also somebody cared enough to go and start complaining about it, which was excellent. It sounds like you're very busy, not just with the show, with eight different storylines uh, and all the world building, mm. but with everything else you're doing. How do you stay motivated to do this show with all the work and then sometimes feeling like people don't even respond or give you feedback? So I think I, I touched on a, a little bit of um, how the variety and quantity of work in, in itself provides ways for me to mitigate against demotivation. So, you know, if I'm working on something and I'm, I'm not feeling it, I've got something else to work on. Just enjoying what I'm doing is a, is, is a really, really big part of it. But it's not always enough, especially when you get tired. You know, mm. there, there yeah. were times early on. There were times even doing Tales of Sardar Medu where you know, I had people laughing at me online at four o'clock in the morning when I was about to go to work at five o'clock and I'd still been up editing. Um, and at those points where you're completely exhausted, you're like, oh my God, why am I even doing this? For those moments, I have an alter ego. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I have, a, I, have a, I have an alter ego who is the fictional real creator of No Return, who is completely impervious to any form of self-reflection whatsoever. And there's, um, he is a monster. He's a, he's a creation of mine that has made his way onto social media at this point. And I think he's in some of the ads, uh, the comedy ads for No Return now yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so Keijo, master of story and song, who is just, who is just the most self-indulgent, narcissistic and self-obsessed human. And he takes over when I get tired. He gives people a chuckle on social media and he stops me from getting, he stops me from getting too demotivated because if he believes that he's the greatest creator that's ever lived, then, then maybe I can too. <laughs> what are some things you've learned about creating audio drama that you can share with us, especially for people who might want to create their own? In terms of if, if anybody's out there who's thinking, shall I do it? The answer is yes. Um, mm. The only advice I'd really give people is just do it. What's the worst that can happen? You know, you make something and it's not great. Okay, well, make something else and make it better. Mm -hmm. And keep doing that until you make something that's good and something that you're satisfied with. 
people say, well, what if I do it and I fail? And my answer is always, yeah, but what if you do it and you succeed? Yeah, you exactly. And so. I'm sure it's, it's different for everybody. And I say not everybody's got Keijo, Master of Story and Song to protect them from, uh, from self-reflection. <laughs> but um, I mean, so what? So what if you fail? Just do it again. You can't seriously mean to follow this madman. What else are we going to do? This lot isn't going to be much use. Maybe he can tell us something useful. We need to find another portal. Or, or make one. We can't stay in this place. I don't know what it is, but it's not the celestial plane. He said as much, and you know as well as I, that the Endless Sea is a passageway to all the other realms. If this is, as Pekka says, the Endless Sea, then he may be able to help us find a way to a celestial plane or a home. I don't trust him. He is... he's very strange. You jumped through a portal to another plane of existence and expected to find what? The familiar? Come on, let's follow before we lose track of him. Jump through. You dragged me. Sang Sanga! How on the tar Sanga! No Return's unusual structure can be confusing at first, but it allows Joe and the listener to explore different perspectives and ideas in a shared world. It also allows for changes in style and genre, from comedy to adventure to horror and mystery. No Return offers a little something for everyone. You can listen to No Return on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.